For us, it, it was always part of our vision. We knew that we would build an organization where we would have a team and platform for coaches. And part of that was industry analysis. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Nicole Wood. Nicole is the co-founder and CEO of Ama La Vida. Ama La Vida is an innovative leadership and career coaching company. They believe that there doesn't need to be a trade-off between success and happiness. Nicole shares a growth journey from a burned out management consultant to being the CEO of one of the fastest growing leadership and coaching companies in the US. We talk about what has worked, what didn't work, what she would do differently, and why Ama La Vida is the perfect name for this company. Key questions we answer are why she wished they would have invested sooner in marketing, the importance of having the right co-founder, why you need to focus on both product and go-to-market fit early on. Even if you're bootstrapped, you still need to make big bets, how work ethic and persistence can be the difference between success and failure, plus much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. I know we were planning or trying to do this uh, in person in the studio for the first ever Hardwired for Growth, you know, podcast from a studio, but logistics and a little bit of poor planning on my part uh, has got us virtual today. That's okay. I was actually excited because it's my first ever podcast. So I was hoping we could roll out the red carpet and do it in person in the studio, but next time. Technology today allows us to be almost in person, but when we have you back for the, uh, for the update show, we'll make sure that we, we do it in the studio. Perfect. Hold you so there. you are in Chicago, and yeah. uh, the reason I wanted to have you on the show was you kind of a unique journey, and I like to have founders or co-founders, you know, with with different journey, right from from start to finish. Uh, but what helps is to really give us, you know, a better idea of you know your company today, you know, your role within the company, how big you are, who you work with, all the all the good stuff. Yeah, sure. So we are a leadership career and life coaching company. We have a team of 15 coaches that are spread out all throughout the U.S. And then five of us here in, in headquarters in Chicago in leadership and operations. And what we do is we help people love their lives, which is the meaning of our name, Amala Vida. And we do that in those different domains of their life. We really started with a career focus and I'll definitely share more about my personal journey to loving my life. But really fundamentally, we just believe that you shouldn't have to wait until 5 or 6 or 7 p.m. to start enjoying your life. And so really want to make sure that you're loving work, that you're loving your leadership team. And then we've since branched out into these other aspects of coaching as well, like your health and your business. 
Yeah, I think that's fantastic and so true. And you said it much more eloquently than I could, but it really is, you know, about the process and life's too short to go through the motions. And, you know, I'm guessing you're seeing or or advocating, you know, that don't think about it as, you know, work-life balance. It's really just one life, right? And you have different things that you need to do. And it's, I found it interesting, but not surprising that you you guys kind of morphed from a career to more of a, a life coach. Yeah. And there's all different philosophies and perspectives on the terminology you use, whether that's work-life balance or work-life integration. I actually don't have a perspective. I'm glad that we're talking about it in general, but it's true that we are human beings and our lives aren't compartmentalized into those boxes. So even when we do have people who come to us who say, I want help being a better leader. I want you to help me find a job without fail, we end up talking about their marriage or their diet or all these other factors that impact how they show up, their health, and what type of person they are at work and at home. And so I think they're all intertwined. And so I'm glad that companies are finally starting to catch on that we need to be treating people as whole individuals and not just as workers that are here for, you know, a nine to five time schedule. Yeah, that's awesome. And who do you, who's your typical client? I'm sure it's broad, but you can give us an idea of who you, who you're typically working with. Yep. So we work with both individuals and businesses. So we have a B2C and a B2B side of our business. Our most common individual client is someone in transition and most typically career transition since that's where we started the business. So that's likely someone in their 20s through 40s who knows they don't want to do what they're doing anymore, but isn't quite sure what they want to do instead. And so we take them all the way through that process of removing them from scrolling through LinkedIn and Indeed and reconnecting with who they are as an individual first and letting that kind of guide their career search all the way through helping them navigate that career transition and landing the new role and being successful there. So we really stick with them through that entire process. That would be our most common client on the consumer side. And then what we're doing with businesses is it's a similar demographic, but just in the corporate space where... Coaching and executive coaching has been around for a long time, but it's been reserved for the C-suite most typically because it's been cost prohibitive. And so initially it was coaching people out of organizations, which thankfully that's not the perspective anymore. It's how do we help people be successful and see coaching as an investment instead of a punishment. But still it's been, you know, managing director level, C-suite level, and pretty much people are neglected at that first level manager, which are the people who are impacting your culture, are impacting your front lines. And so what we believe in um, and what our niche is within the leadership coaching space is don't wait. We call it the 12-year gap. That's the average time between someone gets promoted to leading other human beings and when they get personalized leadership coaching and training. And so we say, let's close the gap, bring us in right away. We'll coach your leaders right when they're becoming responsible for a team and help them develop those skills before those bad habits set in. Yeah, that's that's so important, so needed, right? Especially what I'd call more of the enterprise or legacy companies. It just was mm-hmm. not built into any of their cultures. And I bet you still, I'd be interested, are you seeing this more from, I'm going to call them new age companies or younger companies yeah. versus legacy companies or... Who's who's calling out the most, I guess? 
Yeah, a little bit of both. So I would say okay. legacy companies where they're in some state of transformation. So a lot of times if they are coming into the digital age, which seems crazy that we're even still talking about that, <laughs> but really trying to enact that external transformation and realizing that the way to do that is to have an internal transformation. If the people on the inside and the way that they're treated isn't matching the outside brand that you want to represent, it's just not going to be a success. So we're seeing that in more of the enterprise space. And then certainly in the tech startup world as well. But a lot of times that's because these companies are growing quickly and people are internally getting promoted into really big roles really quickly and really young. And they don't have the grace of a 10 or 20 year career to learn how to do that. So they might be 28 years old leading a team of 15 people. And it's like, how do we equip these people with the skills to navigate that as gracefully as gracefully as possible? Yeah. And something tells me you guys are going to be busy for a long time <laughs> because this need's not going away and it's only going to increase in, in demand yeah. as we finally see some of these legacy companies start to, to make that digital switch because most of them haven't yet. So yeah. there's a, a wave of them coming. Oh, that's fantastic. So congrats on the journey so far. I know you guys have uh, much bigger aspirations, but to get where you are in what I would call a relatively short amount of time is, is impressive. So congrats on that. Thank you. All right. So let's, let's take you back down memory lane. This is usually my favorite part because how people come up with ideas and, you know, and take it from, you know, idea to a full blown company is, is fascinating to me. So I'd love for you to take us back and kind of talk about what were you doing when you came up with the idea first and then how did you come up with the idea? Yeah. So for me, it goes all the way back to when I was working in management consulting and I reached the point of burnout that most consultants reached where I was over being on planes twice a week and being in the middle of nowhere hotels and feeling a little bit like my life was slipping away, working on decks that I didn't really care too much about. And luckily, even though I was feeling burned out by that, I was also doing really well and had been promoted within the organization and was given a leadership coach as part of a kind of transition into that new role, which was great. But I was a total skeptic. So I was one of those people who thought that coaching sounded a little hippy-dippy, a little out there for me. So I approached it with a lot of caution, but I was really blown away through the experience and how transformative it, it could be once I got in there and really understood what it was. And so I ended up working with that coach independent of my organization for actually years after that. And I just had this feeling of why doesn't everyone have access to this? And why did I have that perception? And why do I see so many people around me who are week after week, month after month, unhappy in their jobs and they're approach to that is let's just go to happy hour and complain and not do something about it. (laughs) And if, yeah. And if people knew that there was a solution out there for them, like coaching, would they take advantage of it? And can we help make it a little bit more accessible and more modern in a way that people like myself who never would have given it a thought might actually take advantage of it. And so for me, it wasn't even coaching. That was the draw. It was more, I, refuse to let the people around me 
spend years in unhappy careers that's spilling over into their lives and health? And how do I activate them through a process to help them make that transition? No, that's great. And you were still working when you came up with the idea. How did you take it from which turned out to be a really good idea to actually a, you know, a company or getting close to a company? Yeah. So I was still working. And actually when I left consulting, worked for another couple of years in a corporate strategy role while the idea was really growing and forming. And it started honestly with a blog. And it's funny to even, I was just reading back some of the original posts. The blog was called workingsforthebirds.com. And that was my perspective at the time. And now I have a company that's about loving your work. And so I think that (laughs) can just tell you how, what that transformation can really be like. And so many people that were reading it were telling me, I completely connect with this. How did you do it? What are the exercises that you did to help you make this transformation? And, and that's when the idea started forming that people around me need this. But I looked at the coaching industry and even though it still feels new to us, most of the coach websites I looked at looked at, looked like the first websites that ever hit the internet. (laughs) A lot of it was still... Um, you know, worksheets and it just didn't feel that in touch with the world today. And so what I wanted to create was a company that leveraged technology in an interesting way that had a modern and fresh brand that felt really appealing to younger people. And so I spent a good couple years really sitting on the idea, but it was kind of one thing at a time. Like I named it and I publicized it. And then I built a little bit of content and then found, uh, you know, a partner. And then before I knew it, it had kind of snowballed and I was quitting to my boss and telling him that I was doing this full time. And so it wasn't, you know, something that just came to me in a light bulb moment. And the next day I quit my job. It was kind of a slow burn until it wasn't until I realized that if I wanted to move this along any further, I needed to really dive headfirst and and go full-time, which is what I did. And so I teamed up with a business partner who had the incredible coaching training and expertise. And she's a wonderful coach and coaches me daily. (laughs) And really my role and what it was and still is, is how do we make this a scalable business? Got it. So, and I know I've heard from, uh, I guess it's almost a theme on this show now with companies that have co-founders and if they're on with me, they've, they've made it through, you know, the eye of the needle and have scaled their businesses. And almost, I can't think of a single one that the co-founders didn't have complementary skill sets, mm-hmm. um, that it was easy to decide who was doing what or what they were good at. And it wasn't, uh, they, they can still have hard discussions, but it was complementary. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think there's more facets to it than even like skill set or topically. Like I definitely had the more financial and business background and she had the great coaching expertise. But I think beyond that, I tend to be the big dreamer and lots of energy and enthusiasm. And she's a great executor. I think I can believe so much in something that I want to invest a billion dollars in it. And she's a little bit more refined and risk averse. And so I think definitely from our skill sets, but also our personalities, there's a really nice balance. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the most important thing, you both shared the vision, right? If you don't share the same vision, I think that would be a hard, a hard obstacle to overcome. Yeah, I think vision and, and how we look at work and our work ethic, which is really important that it always feels equal and that there's that mutual respect. That's a good point. So did you guys have some customers before you, you made the jump or was it a, you know, like I said, it was a side hustle. You're doing a little bit of coaching or did you just say, we're going all in, let's, let's, let's take off. I wish the former, but it was okay. more the latter. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, and a lot of it was because we did build this tech platform in conjunction with the coaching services. So Everything we do, we take a hybrid approach of the one-on-one coaching sessions and modules in our e-coaching platform. And what that is, is it mimics the experience of working with a coach in an online format so that we're able to accomplish the same objective with fewer live sessions, which keeps the cost down, but it also makes it more results-oriented and you can track and measure those things because coaching is an inherently pretty mushy business. And so we spent a lot of time building that and then we had a formal launch to be able to have the um, service designed the way that we had intended. If I were to do it again, I probably wouldn't do it that way. And I would build up the client base even while we were building the technology, but we did really do it all at one time. And then from there, it was probably the thing that you hear a lot on this show where it was friends and family. And then there was the one day where we're like a stranger, a stranger (laughs) requesting time with us. Like we've made it. And then we grew from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And how did you, thank you for the segue. How did you get your your first customers beyond friends and family? Because one of the themes I hear quite a bit as well, almost to a person was, I wish I would have invested in marketing earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yep. I should get that tattooed on me. Um, (laughs) That is absolutely true for us. I think, you know, we were pretty naive and we felt, okay, we announced it to the world and now the people will come. This is a huge problem. Everyone's going to want our services, which is true, but you still need marketing and sales. And so it just took us way too long. And actually on another episode of your show with Tessa from Intelligence Bank, I love the term that I actually hadn't heard before the go-to-market fit. And I think we spent all of year one really on the product market fit. So we had all different sorts of coaching approaches, some where we were just technology, some where we were using the hybrid. We had like a group coaching and we tried all these different things and it took us a while to figure that out. And luckily that was mostly with the grace of friends and family and a few others. And then years two and three were really all about that go-to-market fit and what are the channels that really work for us. And for us, that's really come down to digital advertising channels and, and SEO. And so we've really been focusing on making sure that we have the process right to convert those most efficiently. And that's what we've been really spending the past couple of years refining. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good problem to have once you start the pipeline and, and then it gets going. And it's hard, right? Because you're not 100% confident that what you're saying is the right thing to say. And so to turn on a marketing platform or demand generation, I guess more, but it's a combination of branding. And so you get the word out and when people are ready, they know you're out there versus you know, everything just call to action, Facebook ad, right? They don't know who you are. Right. It's going to be harder. So finding that balance is 
getting trickier and trickier. So, but it's, it's about experimentation and testing and, you know, you've obviously found what worked and now you're, you've got the, uh, the gas on the fire, as they say. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it really was through trial and error and you meet people constantly and really smart people who are great at what they do say, you need to be on Facebook and that's where all of your leads are coming from. And I know XYZ people who built their businesses on Facebook ads, or you need to be on Instagram. That's what everything is today. And neither of those two channels are that critical for us. Actually, social media for the most part has been pretty secondary to some of these other approaches. So it really just is what's the right messaging and what's the right channel that aligns with that for your particular business. Yeah. And I think, right. Once you find one of those channels, you double down on it until it's no longer profit. It's still a math equation, right? At the end of the day, (laughs) where you're finding them. So I think more people should take that approach. That's, that's great advice. All right. So now you're, this is the second part I like is, all right, you've got business, you and your co-founder can handle what's coming in. All of a sudden the, the, there's more clients than you can handle. So I love to hear from you what were kind of those first steps or what were your thought processes when that the business was growing and you knew you had to bring people on board? For us, it, it was always part of our vision. We okay. knew that we would build an organization where we would have a team and platform for coaches. And part of that was industry analysis. The ICF, which is the accreditation body for coaches, estimates that there's 50,000 coaches. I think that number is really underestimating the actual market size. And I think the average entity size is 1.1 people. So every coach for the most part is a sole proprietor. There's really no one who's aggregated that in any meaningful way. And I'd like to be the person who does that. And so that was always part of our initial strategy. And luckily that side of the equation has been pretty easy because there aren't a lot of options for coaches. And so a lot of people get into the profession because they want to help people. They're really passionate about leadership development or health coaching or whatever it is that brought them to coaching. And they never ever wanted to build a website or learn how to do, you know, advertising or figure out how to buy an insurance policy. And so when they find out that there's a place like Amalavita where they can become part of the team and get all of that done for them, they're like, Oh heck yes. And so we get a lot of applications. And so for us, it was always part of the plan and it was just a matter of matching supply with demand, but it's been really rewarding to be able to help those people who a lot of them would have had to go back to a nine to five job or something that they didn't want to stay in because they didn't have the bandwidth or the capabilities or the runway to build a business. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, you know, that's one of the things I definitely love about your model. It's not traditional, right? You don't have a marketing arm. You don't have a sales arm. It's, you know, it's a team, team approach and you're doing it differently than most. And I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you are having success is you're telling a different story, which is, which is really kind of cool. So thinking back across the, uh, you know, even from the idea stage to, to now, was that about five years? Is that roughly about the time? So we've been officially in business just over three years. And yeah, probably about two or three years before that. So five, six years. Okay. Anything looking back on the, the journey now you would have done different? Anything other than we talked about the marketing a little bit? Anything else that you would have 
you know, advice for others? Because I think you you guys have done a lot of really good things and thinking about the future and not just living in the moment. So yeah, just curious if, you, if there's anything else you'd, uh, you'd like to do over on billion things probably, oh. <laughs> but <laughs> it's all been part of the learning experience. And then, you know, I hadn't done this before. And so there were a lot of lessons to be learned over time that I think could have been accelerated, but it was making the best choice with what I had at the time, but definitely investing in marketing from the start, not being so naive that I thought, you know, customers would just find us magically on the interweb. So that for sure. And I think alongside that would be placing bigger bets from the start. So even when we would start doing ads, we'd place such a small ad that it's like, what can you really learn from that? And I think we were so gun shy with the budget because we are self-funded and bootstrapped. And so every dollar counts, but there's no way to grow if you're not making those investments. So I think there were certain things we could have really amplified sooner. I think I would have trusted my gut more on a lot of things. So whether that was like killing off a product that wasn't working or a team member that wasn't working, I tend to have a pretty good feel for those things, but can talk myself out of it easily. And so I think just really trusting myself and and making decisions sooner, whether that be to place bets or to end certain things that aren't working, I think could have gotten us to this point in half the time. Interesting. And to another area that you know, it's always interesting to me is understanding um, from a co-founder or founder standpoint is, you know, when you started to scale and bring other coaches on and other people on, had you, did you take the time to document the workflow or the processes? And is that something that you were thinking about ahead of time as well? Or, you know, maybe where are you on that, that journey? Yeah, that's something. So coming from a strategy and operations background, the process part of the equation has always been easier for us. So Forum, my co-founder is also a former consultant. And so we're very process oriented people. We're very operationally driven. We really lacked that sales and marketing side of the equation, which we've now supplemented with other team members and with consultants that can help us fill in those gaps. But the process standpoint has always been our sweet spot. And so if you look through even like our new coach onboarding, you'd probably be like, you guys are crazy. You spent way too much time on this Um, (laughs) because we've always had that mindset of let's document things as we go. Let's build out training as we go. And so that side of things has been pretty much established ever since we thought of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I forgot about the consulting background. That turned out to be a dumb yeah. question on my part. But but a lot of founders don't crazy. spend the time on that. It's um it's Which you probably should in the long run. <laughs> well, yeah. I, where I go back and forth with this with with I think there's, you know, a couple of the key or core processes that you should document as you guys are starting to scale beyond yourselves, right? The key yeah. ones of coaching, onboarding, if that's where the majority of the, the work's going to come from. But yeah, do you need to document your customer success process on the back end? Maybe not. It's I think it's right. you, know, you pick your pick your poison, but definitely the core key ones I would I would say you were you were smart to to do that. That's true. And I may have given us more credit than we deserve. So there are certainly lots of things that are still tribal knowledge and five people do. And we're really just in the point of, especially as an operational team, really establishing those roles and thinking to the future of what that could look like. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess the other, just picking on you with the third theme that, that I hear, and it's really hard for the founders or co-founders to step out of the, the day-to-day and the tactical and start moving more towards the strategic. Has that been a, a challenge for you guys or how is that journey going? It has been, and it's still a challenge, and I still have to fight myself on it. Just, I think it was yesterday, I was looking at some of our conversion rates from our consultations, and they had gone down, and my knee-jerk reaction was, let me just open up my calendar, and I'll take some of the consultations too. And then I was like, Nicole, that is not the answer. <laughs> um, so it is, and it's, and it's so personal to you because every client that gets lost and every thing that goes wrong and every dollar that we spend is my client and my dollar and my baby. And so, um, it it is really difficult, I think, to establish those boundaries and make that separation. And so it's, it's a constant reminder to do that. But now that we've been able to have some more operational support and people that we trust, it's, it's getting easier. Yeah, it's, I know I, I get it. And I think it was even Tess on that episode talked about that's still the thing she struggles with the most yeah. is <laughs> staying out of the weeds. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's it, good. All right. So again, really helpful. Thank you. What's what's next for Ama La Vida? And I, I said that right correctly, didn't I? You did. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. It's usually a tongue twister in the beginning, but once people get it, they remember it. So we are still, we started with career and we've by no means dominated the market. And so we're really focusing into the next year on really establishing ourselves. We wanted to get to the point where if you're thinking about making a career transition, especially if you are in Chicago, you don't even think about it without picking up the phone and calling Amalavita. So really trying to build our brand reputation around that dominance in the career space and then starting to really build out similar programming and similar expertise in some of those other verticals that are newer for us, especially health and wellness um, focused around particularly physical health and body image. So that will be coming in the next year. And then in terms of operating the business, really doubling down. And now that we've think we have that go-to-market fit, really putting fuel on the fire there so that we can grow bigger and faster and starting to build some hierarchy in terms of how we operate. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, I always come back to the, there's riches in the niches. So yeah. once you get really good at one, then it makes it much easier to expand in the others. And there's no doubt that I think you guys are going to continue to to see this success. So, so Nicole, I want to be re- respectful of your time and I really appreciate you spending some, some time with this today, but I would like to end this with our closing time round where it gives the audience a chance to, to get you know, to know you a little bit more on a personal level. So if you're ready, um, I'll fire away. Let's do it. All righty. So number one, what is an experience that really helps shape who you are today? And that can be professionally or personally. Ooh. Or How in the case of learning, maybe there, it, <laughs> you go as deep as you want. And <laughs> after hearing your introduction and how, on balance, it maybe they're not, maybe they're one and the same. So <laughs> I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, I would say a collective experience that has shaped me is just the way that my parents raised me in terms of work ethic. I still don't know how the heck they did it. They both were full-time professionals. They were in the military. So they were both 
um, army reserve officers and getting their masters while raising two kids. And so that was all just crazy. And then I would say the kind of turning point in me thinking about that was when my dad deployed when I was young and now everything was on my mom and just seeing the way she stepped up and never complained once, I think really shaped how I think about work and the contribution that I can make for those around me and my family. And so when I think even to the type of entrepreneur that I am, I think so many people have this story of like the landscaping business they started when they were 12 or whatever (laughs) crafty thing that they built a million dollar business in college. I don't have that story. And I don't think that's the flavor of entrepreneur that I am, but I think that I'm relentless and I'm a builder. And I think a lot of that comes from the work ethic that I was raised with. Yeah, I think that's so good. And for what it's worth, I'm betting on the entrepreneurs that have the work ethic versus the ones that did side businesses when they were kids. I just think that you got to have that stick to itiveness to persevere through the journey. Or if you gave up too early, you get burned out. You never, yeah. you never see it all the way through. So, you know, it's interesting starting this show. Like I said, this is now in the mid 20s it surprised me that it never realized or dawned on me that the, one of the key, I think, success factors is that, that work ethic and the ability yeah. to, to stay with, stay with it versus, oh, I'm onto the next, you know, shiny object at that point. And in theory, it sounds like it should be obvious, but it, it wasn't to me until I started having these, these conversations. I think it's so true. And you hear the statistics all the time and people were not shy to remind me of them when I was quitting my stable (laughs) job to start a business about, you know, failure rates. And I know you mentioned them on this, this show as well. And I don't think in most cases it's for lack of a great idea. I think it's for lack of a mental and emotional and financial runway that's long enough to build something to sustainability. And so that's definitely the perspective that I had going into it. Yeah, there was a, another guest on the show that hasn't aired. We we had a little bit of a, a similar conversation. I said it would be really interesting to see what those stats are if you could factor out the folks that didn't have the work ethic, right? I mean, maybe your odds of the people that have work ethic, you know, go from you know five percent up to twenty five percent, and the odds are better. And it would be interesting. To, I don't know how you'd ever figure that out, yeah. but to encourage more because I think there's a lot of you know would be entrepreneurs that do have the work ethic but are scared off by those same those same numbers. Yeah. But if they actually yeah. saw that the, the the success rate was higher for those types of individuals, I think we'd we'd see more people doing it. So yeah. uh, we'll solve that on an, another episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So number two, what is one thing you would highly recommend? Oh, I talked about how coaching sounded woo-woo to me and I'm gonna give you a very woo-woo answer. But I would say yoga. I was a dancer growing up. And so stretching and movement has always been a big part of my life. And taking a casual ballet class isn't really something you do in your 30s. And so once I found yoga, I was like, wow, this is what I've been missing. And I think a lot of people have that. That sounds crazy to me kind of mentality towards it. But there's something just so refreshing and powerful, even about taking an hour to just breathe. And so I would encourage anyone to give it a shot if you haven't yet. 
No, I think that's so true. And I, it's one thing on my, my bucket list still, because I know, you know, as I'm getting older, the flexibility and the stretching is the one thing that I don't yeah. incorporate into my workouts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I can't have a workout without headphones, listening to podcasts or music, and I know you have to unplug for, for yoga. So yeah, I'm going to add that to my, I don't know if it's going to be my Q4 list, maybe it'll be my, okay. my Q1 list to, to do it. All so right. that's good. All well, right. And last thing. What's We're going to, as a coaching company, it's accountability. So I'm going to hold you to it. There you go. <laughs> I better make that a note then. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, and we call this the last call. If you could only have one more beverage, think of this as your last meal. What would it be? One more beverage with my last meal. Okay. Um, no, not well, last, not with your last meal. Just if you just have oh, one uh, more beverage, what would it gotcha, be? Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, definitely champagne. My oh, nickname nice at work is bubbles and <laughs> directly as a result of my consumption of anything bubbly. And it's so weird because I actually found out about, I think it was two years ago when someone from work said something and my mom, my parents heard that. And my dad just gives this weird look and he's like, did you know your mom's nickname was bubbles in college? No. Like, That's a really weird coincidence. And no, but hers was because she's really sweet and bubbly. And mine is because of the champagne consumption. The champagne. So, yeah, that's, that's a first one, but I can't disagree with that. I, I Champagne, I'm much more of a one-off event than it's a a go-to beverage, but I I cannot follow you for that. So awesome. Well, again, Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. But if anybody who's listening wants to find out more about you and the company and where to reach you, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? ALV as an Amalavita coaching.com. Awesome. And I'll add that to the show notes. And uh, yeah, if you're looking to find some work-life balance or just life balance, I think is the way I'd approach it is, you know, give them a call, reach out. And again, Nicole, appreciate it. Uh, Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? I think I'm ready for some champagne. (laughs) Sounds good. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Brett. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.